Hey, welcome to church. Hey, yes. Hey, uh, it, is, it is good to be here with you. If you are newer here, my name's Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, and I would love to meet you. And you can do that after service. And we have a gift for you just to say thanks for choosing to spend part of your weekend here with us. Um, but also, would you do me a favor? And we have a team that we sent down to Mexico this past week. They are uh, going to be journeying back today. Um, but every Christmas season, they go down there. We have our own Santa from our church. You've maybe seen him before. And uh, they go down there. They give out tons of gifts and just share the love of Jesus. And they share the gospel and the message of Jesus with them. So would you uh, welcome them and everyone else watching online as well? And... Uh, so we are entering the Christmas season, or we've entered. It's here. And every Christmas season, there's kind of this tension that goes on, especially with the Christians. Uh, it, it, older, I'll blame them on the older people. They, they're like, bring Christ back to Christmas, right? Like that understanding. There's, there's this uh, like almost happy holidays. We kind of manipulate it. But there, I think there's this deeper like missing link that happens, and it's for most of us or all of us. If I were to ask you, what does Christmas mean? Hopefully, maybe we would answer uh, like something like uh, Christ. He would come here. He's our Savior. But even that is somewhat lacking, and here's why. It's not just that Christ is our Savior, but that Christ is our Lord. Here's the difference. For many of us, we put our trust in him. We say, I accept Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. But it means nothing if he's not Lord, and that means I follow him. I now am going to yield to him. He is my Lord. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's a big difference. And that's what we see in our society. That's the problem. Often we can look around and we see Christians and we're like, man, they're hypocrites and all that. And the problem is we all are because we're still human, so we're flawed and we mess up. And I, I know what's right, but I don't always do it and all this stuff. But there's also this other tension that sometimes we're like, man, this is the problem with Christians sometimes is because we say, I put my faith in him, but you don't follow him. And that's essential. And this news of a coming Savior was proclaimed. And the interesting thing was, in Isaiah, Isaiah's in the Old Testament, it's early on, Isaiah's a prophet of God. God speaks through Isaiah to different people all the time. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His government and its peace will never end. And he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. For many of us, we've heard that maybe for a child is born to us, a son is given. Every time, maybe you, you grew up in the church long enough, that sounds like a Christmas verse, right? The crazy thing is, Isaiah proclaims that 700 years before Jesus comes to this earth. Think about that for a moment. Isaiah, 700 years before God-inspired, speaks through Isaiah to proclaim this news of a coming Lord, of Messiah, that will come and deal with the sin issue once and for all. And he proclaims it 700 years. Here's a sign of what is to come. 
And Isaiah is a prophet, so he will proclaim things that will come to be and uh, come to fruition. So these are signs that will come. It's like when I was a, a younger, there's this movie that I love, and the second uh, uh, movie comes out, and it comes on the theaters, and we sit down, and we watch it, and it's The Matrix. Neo walks into a kitchen where he meets the oracle. It's not what he expected. It's an older woman just sitting there making cookies, and they're talking, and all of a sudden she says, hey, don't worry about that vase. And he goes, what vase? And all of a sudden he knocks over a vase. It crashes on the floor, and she's like, that one. In the moment for him, it's like this, this sign that, wow, she is the oracle. She provides wisdom and guidance and all this stuff. And in the same way, God speaks through different people. And Isaiah is one of these people that he proclaims something that will come to fruition that has yet to come. And it only gives the people, the followers, more confidence. I can trust this. 700 years before. And he proclaims this news. And he says... The one that's coming will be a, a wonderful counselor. In a, in a world where we're all the time looking for affirmation, for acceptance, for approval, for guidance, for mentorship, for all these different things, if someone would just care, pour into me, give me something, help me out, whatever it might be, accept me, make me feel good, whatever it is, we're told that God is a wonderful counselor. For many of us, for you, likely today, you have gone through this journey of your life and you have testimony after testimony of how God has guided you and directed you and helped you along the way. He's a wonderful counselor. Unlike what we seek and find in this world, that he continues to guide and direct. That he's the one that we should go back to to seek and to discover. We're told he's a wonderful counselor that he's a mighty God. In other translations and other times throughout the Old Testament, he's explained Jesus is a mighty warrior. This goes against everything that many of us have heard in the church and over time. We see Jesus as this nice, cute, like kind of uh, subtle uh, person that sits a servant over in the corner that's just friendly all the time, that's uh, weak almost. We view him sometimes, but we're told this, that Jesus is a mighty war, that he comes and he deals with things finalizing things like a solution. He deals with justice once and for all. We're told this in Revelation that Jesus will come again and he will come with an army with, with fire and with a tattoo on his thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he will deal with the sin issue once and for all. It's not a weak God that we worship. It's a strong one that deals with things. That the evil and the abuse and the hurt that you have experienced throughout your life, that Jesus will deal with it once and for all. He is a mighty God, one that we can put our trust in, our hope in, that 700 years before he would come, that a whole nation would hear this and that they could put their hope in him who will deal with all things once and for all. That the Jewish nation, they had it misunderstood sometimes. They thought that Jesus was gonna come and he was gonna like more of a political movement to have a government. When you read this, they think le legitimately like a, a real government in Jerusalem that would kind of like free them from oppression and all this stuff. But, but what we're really told is that he will come and he will deal with things in that manner, but in such a greater way than that. That the real oppression of sin that just, uh, man, kills us and tears us down and divides us, he will deal with that issue. We're told that he's a wonderful counselor, a mighty warrior, an everlasting father. Remember, 
Isaiah, Old Testament, long ago. Back then, especially, they had rules and regulations and rules for rules and all this stuff, right? You, you could only take so many steps. You could only do so many things, and there were certain rules. Don't ever take the Lord's name in vain. When we think of that, for them, they treated that with such caution that they would never even say the Lord's name. They would use words like the Almighty because they were so fearful that they would use the Lord's name in vain, they wouldn't even say his name. And in the Old Testament especially, they would never consider or speak about God as a father. Because that, that's too close and connected and he's far greater in this magnitude. But Isaiah, 700 years like before Jesus, so in the Old Testament, all these rules and ritual, like all this stuff, he says this, he's an everlasting father. For some of us, that's really heavy because our earthly father was not the greatest example of a father. And no matter what your father was like on this earth, there are fragments and pictures of it, but man, it still pales in comparison to what an everlasting father we have in God. That he calls you a son and a daughter. Get this. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand because we're kind of just in it, but there's certain like standard of God. His, his um, I mean, he's perfect, his wholeness, his, his, what he says is good, what is good, and then there is what is evil. And anything that is evil, just man, goes directly against God. And he says, he says that, that even you and me, with the, the moment that you choose your own selfish way, it's a moment where you're choosing to be your own God instead of recognize him as your father. And in that, he still chooses to call you a son and a daughter. Like you've gone directly against him and I have gone directly against him so many times in my life. I choose myself. I still do it. You still do it constantly. I know what's right. I know what's good, but I don't always do it. And that's the reality of human nature that we still are living in this fallen world. But in that, God still says, you're my son and my daughter. I know you. I love you. If you really think about it, for some of you, maybe it's really hard to comprehend. How could God love me? But this is what God says about you. I know every hair on your head. I know every detail that you're going through. I know everything that you're facing. You're my son. You're my daughter. And that we're meant to have this type of relationship with God. He's your wonderful counselor. He guides you through your life. He's a mighty warrior. He is strong and he can get you through all situations. He's an everlasting father. He's the provider, the protector the nurturer, he's there. And he is the prince of peace. In a world where we're constantly trying to seek peace, we think we have the moral high ground, we know what's right or wrong to get peace, but we only get fragments of it. Parents, we all yell to our kids, if I could just get a little peace and quiet, but you know that that means for a few moments you would like it to be silent, but you know there's never really peace because there's always chaos. In the world we see it, there's division, there's hate, there's wars, there's all these different things that go on. We don't know what peace is. In the Jewish religion, they would use a word shalom. Shalom means peace for us, but it means much more than that. It means like a wholeness, like a, 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 a fulfillment, a harmony, this really like this, this everything is perfect. 
not just like silent or free from chaos, but also like fulfillment. And we're told not only that he's the prince of peace, that his peace endures forever. For us, in a world where often it's hard to find peace, how do you discover peace? I think there's practical ways. I think we recognize that there is peace when we spend time in prayer and meditation where we we recognize being in sync with the one that is the Prince of Peace. It matters that the source that we're connected to is essential. I think in this word that the scripture is, it, it, it points us, it's the source of comfort and peace for our understanding. I think it's in community where we do life with others that are uh, helping us discover where we're supposed to be, what we're called to be, that we would discover the burdens and have a supportive community as we walk through this life that we have. But to experience peace is, it's to recognize God as your source. That, That when Isaiah proclaims a 700 years in advance, And he says, and he will be known as this, that this one that is coming will be the prince of peace, that peace will rain down, that that peace will come upon the sins of this world, the thing that has divided us and separated us from God, that his peace will come. But not only that then, you and I were called to be ambassadors of peace, that we're peacemakers, that we're meant to share this peace with others, that uh, we say it here, you have one. There's one person in your life that God has uniquely placed you around. There's someone. You can think of them right now. The Spirit of God maybe just directs you to that person. It's in your home. It's in your workplace. It's somewhere, that one person. And that God will uniquely use you to be the ambassador, just like Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, would proclaim to a people. He would use you to proclaim to a person that there is a Jesus that came to this earth. He is God in human flesh, and he is a wonderful counselor, and he is a mighty God, and he's an everlasting father, and he is the prince of peace, that God would use us. Now, the difficult thing for many of us is in this season especially, when there's holidays and there's get-togethers and there's time where you spend with loved ones and friends and family, but you're carrying the weight of loss and of grief. How do we find peace in that? How do we find peace when there's hurt and there's pain and it's It's not a peace that this world can offer, so it's not a peace that you can find at the bottom of a bottle. And it's not a peace that you will find in a bank account. And it's not a peace that you can just get away from something and get. And the peace that you're seeking is because in your home also, it's not a a peaceful place. And there's hurt and there's chaos and there's division and there's, there's abuse and there's neglect and there's all these things and we can sit here and you can hear these words about peace and it sounds so nice but you're sitting here going like, how do I experience any of that in my situation? It seems 700 years away from my reality. And it's hard because the answer isn't easy and I can't just tell you like, here's how you do it. Because I don't know how. 
I don't know how God would bring manna from heaven, and I don't know how God would use this small, insignificant little boy that never got counted in the total attendance to feed thousands of people. And I don't know how God would use a man that was known for persecuting and killing Christians to then transform his life to proclaim Christ to others. And I don't know how God would use a person like me and maybe use my feeble words to say something that could reach you and speak to you. And I don't know how God would use you and show grace to you and mercy to you and me for all that we've done. But I don't need to know how. I just need to know who. And what I'm told is that when you put your trust in him, your faith and you begin to follow that out, that there is a peace that goes beyond all understanding. Seven hundred years, Isaiah proclaims it to when it happens. God has a plan, and that plan won't be stopped, and that plan won't fail. And that happens throughout time. We see it over and over again. God gives a promise, and man, there's a lot of dysfunction because humans are involved, but every time his plan always comes to fruition. God promises a man named Paul that he will go to Rome and preach the good news. And then Paul is in prison for two more years, and Paul gets in a shipwreck, and Paul gets bitten by a snake, and he's supposed to die, and everyone thinks he's going to die, but he never dies. And then Paul finally arrives in Rome, and we're like, yay, but he's in chains, and he's under house arrest. And you're like, why is this how it happened? But God's promise always comes to fulfillment. God's promise will never fail. God's plan won't be stopped. And we see this in moments, in times. For many of us, this is where you find peace when you understand that God's plan, and God says, I have a plan for you. God says, I have a plan for you, a fulfillment of prosperity, not just prosperity financially. He's not talking about that. He's talking about fulfillment and meaning and purpose in your life, that you would discover really peace, shalom, the wholeness. And he says, this is what I provide, and this is my plan for you, for you. And there's moments where if we could just pause wherever you're at and just look at God's faithfulness. Just be reminded of it. There's this one image that uh, maybe you've seen on, like, online before. But it's an image of like just God's plan and how it just interweeds together. There's this, here, I'll, we'll show it to you right now. It's a, a picture of um, the Bible and it's the cross-references in the Bible. So on the far left is like Genesis, and every chapter in Genesis, and all the way through to the far right, which would be Revelations, and everything in between, and all those lines going up and across, all of those are, are cross-references. What a cross-reference is, is it's uh, where one section of Scripture speaks about the same thing as another. So Isaiah 9, 6, what we just read, it says, for to us a child is born and given, like all this stuff. That could reference over to the Gospels where that happens. That could reference to other places and that happens throughout the scripture. There are 66,779 cross references in the Bible. This is, this is done over 40 different authors that put pen to paper to write the Bible. Over 1,500 years, this Bible is written on three different continents, and it interwebs like this. 
and it speaks with, with perfect continuity together. Because hopefully what you know is what I know is that there is not just 40 different authors, there is really one author that speaks through these people. But here's why I bring this one up. This is a picture of how the scripture just speaks together. There is no other historical document in the world that does it with that much continuity. Over the course of that much time, and it speaks to that same truth. What Isaiah spoke about 700 years comes to pass. What Isaiah other times will prophesy about will come to pass in Revelations. The reason I bring this up is this. God's plan, it, it, it works perfectly from the beginning to the end. And God has a similar promise to you and to me of his plan for your life. That that is the magnitude of our God, that he doesn't just care about a big picture, but he also cares about the very small and what we would almost seem as insignificant. He cares about you and he cares about me. Every detail, every plan. And maybe just to wrap this up, the best way we can do this is this, not by my words, but by words that have been accumulated over 1,500 years. Words from God to you, to me. Take a breath. Just a moment where we pause. And just listen to these words. You are complete through Christ. You who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. You will not be defeated, but will endure forever. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. It is not that you think you are qualified to do anything on your own. You are qualified because it comes from God. Even before he made the world, God loved you and chose you in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He says this, I am leaving you a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you, the world cannot give. So do not be troubled. Do not be afraid. I have told you. All this so that you will have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. And I am certain that God who began a good work in you will continue this work until it's finally finished. Perfect. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer, by petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. 